Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. The book of Revelation is full of similes and symbolism. Similes are like and as, depicting something that is similar to something else. Symbolism are examples of things that we might understand and we might not understand. Sometimes they're hard to realize what God is telling us, and sometimes we have to wait and see what they represent. Sometimes God tells us exactly what they are, like the dragon he says is Satan, but sometimes he doesn't. So we need to remember Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. He does not show us every answer. However, as we continue this week studying clues to understand the mysteries in Revelation, we can determine some of the things that God's trying to tell us. Last week, we evaluated Mystery Babylon, that false religious system of the last days. This week, we're going to study the beast or the Antichrist and the political system in the last days, all from Revelation chapter 17. We want to discover the missing pieces of this kingdom that is going to rule the world the last seven years before Christ returns. I'm Debbie Blank, thanking you for joining us today in our continuing expository study in the book of Revelation. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Today, as we take a closer look at the terrible beast and his kingdom in chapter 17, we'll be delving into what many consider to be one of the most difficult sections of Revelation to understand. Why is that? Because there's not just a lot of symbolism here. It's more like symbolism on top of symbolism Fortunately, we've also been given many clues along the way. So, like most great movie detectives, we'll be picking up those clues and systematically working through them to build upon what we've already been able to uncover. As we get into chapter 17 of Revelation, it's important to go back and see what we've already learned about the Antichrist. Now, in the Bible, there are numerous places that give us ideas about him, such as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, 8, and 11, and many other places in Scripture. We're not going to study those because we did when we went through Revelation 13. But we do want to look at what has been said about this beast, this Antichrist, in the book of Revelation to set the groundwork for Revelation 17. We first saw this beast. Now, he's called the beast. He's not called the Antichrist ever in Scripture because that's just a term that depicts that he's against Jesus Christ. We Christians over the centuries have labeled the beast the Antichrist. So we first saw the beast in Revelation eleven seven when he came up out of the abyss to kill the two witnesses. That was right at the beginning of the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And then in Revelation 13, he was completely described as a blasphemous world leader and empowered by Satan. The world would worship him and the world would voluntarily take the mark of the beast. Then later in Revelation 16, 13, he is identified with Satan and the false prophet as one of the three people in the unholy trinity. All the while, he's described uniquely as having seven heads and 10 horns. We discussed that a little bit in the past. We're going to walk through it more today as Revelation 17 really gives us keys to understanding these symbols. 
I'm glad that you brought up the fact that this beast, and we continue to refer to him as the beast because that is what he's called in Revelation, but that we are talking about what people more commonly refer to as the Antichrist. I just want to mention beforehand that recently there was a new statue enacted on the United Nations property, and it's a statue of a beast. There's a photo of this beast, and you look at it and think, it's terrifying. They say about it, it's a guardian for international peace and security that sits on the visitor's plaza outside the UN headquarters. The guardian is a fusion of jaguar and eagle and donated by the government of Mexico. When you go to Daniel 7, 2 to 4, Daniel gives us a description there of the beast, meaning the kingdom, the leader, the world power of the last days. And he said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and the wings of an eagle. That is very similar to what we're seeing at the United Nations building. I wonder if they're trying to make a statement here about the beast and this United Nations being this one world government at the end times. And it's not just there, by the way, in Brussels, the seat of the European Union. They also have a metal statue of a beast, but there they have a woman riding that beast. I think these governments know what's coming, and they're trying to be this last world government, this last beast that controls the destiny of the world. You've just shown why it's so important to know the clues that are in Scripture, not just in Revelation, but in Daniel. It's so important to know that because right away you recognize that. But if you don't know Scripture, you're not going to recognize it, and these things are going to come upon you, and you're not going to understand what's going on. If the secular world understands the Bible and are giving us clues by putting up statues, otherwise, why would you use these two examples? Then we certainly need to understand what's going on. I mean, in Revelation, the beast is mentioned 30 times. Now, a few times that means wild beasts, or it's talking about the false prophet, the second beast. But generally, it's talking about the Antichrist. Revelation 13, as we have read, really details that. And what it says in verse one is that he came up out of the sea, which means he's coming up out of the revived Roman empire. And he has 10 horns and seven heads, which we'll discuss. And on his horns are 10 diadems. That's kingly crowns, not victor's crowns. And there were blasphemous names. We're told in Revelation thirteen three that one of his heads was as if he'd been slain and he had a fatal wound that was healed. Again, we'll discuss that. Revelation 14, 3 said the dragon gave him his authority and they worshiped the beast because of the dragon. Revelation 13, 3 also says that the dragon gave him his authority and the people worshiped the dragon and worshiped the beast. So we know that this beast, this world system run by the Antichrist is controlled by Satan. And then again in Revelation 13, it says that people worshiped the beast, they worshiped the statue of the beast, and they took the mark of the beast, which is an act of worship towards the beast. So they totally given up on God to follow this political system. And then in the sixth bold judgment of Revelation 16, we saw that the beast called the kings of the earth together to fight against God in the battle of Armageddon. 
That gives us what we've seen already about this beast, how this whole political system run by the Antichrist is going to be anti-God, is going to be specifically satanic, leading people to follow Satan, and people are going to follow. They're going to follow like sheep into the slaughter, and they're not going to stand up for God, but they're going to turn away from God. Why would people do that? Because they're manipulated? because they don't know the truth, because they're persuaded or encouraged or forced into making decisions. They can't buy or sell if they don't take the mark of the beast. So some might just say, well, I'm going to take it because that's easier. We are living in a world that's preparing us for that because our governments more and more worldwide are controlling the movements of the people. That's what's going to happen here. And then if you add in some miraculous signs, particularly one where someone appears to have been slain and then comes back to life again, the people will wonder at that and they'll fall for that. Absolutely, they will. So let's turn now to Revelation 17. We've already talked about the harlot, the great mystery Babylon, who is the religious system that's going to be empowered along with this political system. Today, we're going to focus on the political system in verse 3. It says, and he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman riding on a scarlet beast. Now that woman we've identified as the great harlot, Mystery Babylon, the religious system. And she's riding on a scarlet beast. Now we've never seen that term scarlet beast before. What does that mean? Well, Satan's identified in Revelation 12 as being red. Could that be the relationship that it's making? Then it says that the beast is full of blasphemous names. That's not unusual. Read that in Revelation 13. Having seven heads and ten horns. God describes to us exactly what those seven heads and ten horns are as we look further in this chapter. And that's where we're going to find symbolism upon symbolism upon symbolism because there are layerings of what each of those things mean. There's not just one meaning. When you're going through this kind of a thing, it really helps to take notes and underline things and maybe write lists, as I know you've done, Debbie. Chapters 17 and 18 are two of the most difficult chapters in Scripture to understand. I have diagrammed them. I've color-coded them. I've written them out numerous times. And it's still hard to understand because it is a mystery. So we have to take it at face value and take what we have that God has given us to understand. And remember, we will not be here. The church will have been raptured, so we're not going to see this. This is for the people of the future that God has written so they will see it and they will understand. And I pray that they will read the Bible so that they can understand. We're going to move over now to Revelation 17, 7. Here it says, And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? Now going back at the end of verse 6, it says that John said, And when I saw her, and this is the harlot, I wondered greatly. So now the angel is answering, Why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. God is so gracious to give us some understanding of what this is going to be. Not total, but with history and with the Bible, we can make some decisions. Verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and to go to destruction. So let's stop there. First of all, he's about to come up out of the abyss, it says. We know from Revelation 11, he did come out of the abyss in order to kill the two prophets. 
The abyss is one of the places mentioned in scripture that sometimes is called hell. Here it's called the bottomless pit or the abyss, which in Greek is abusos. It is a place for fallen angels or demons. We know from scripture, and we've talked about it in this study, that Satan has access to the throne of God when God allows it. He has access to the whole world, but he also is relegated to the abyss according to God's will and his timing. So this particular beast, empowered by Satan, is going to come up out of the abyss, and when it does, it's going to go to destruction. Now remember, when John's being told this, he says the beast is about to come up out of the abyss. So he's explaining that it's going to, and it did in Revelation 11, and then it's going to go to destruction. Well, that's not going to happen until Revelation 19. But he's, I think he's giving John a little bit of hope that there is a point of destruction for this beast. But the beginning of verse 8 says, The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss. So was, is, and then the future, past, present, and future. How does God describe himself? He was, he is, and he is to come. So here we have the beast trying to mimic God again, appearing to have some aspects of God in order to deceive the people on the earth. Well, it makes me think of Jesus coming down from heaven. We have the beast coming up from the abyss. So he's coming to earth. He's just coming from a different direction. That's right. And it tells us in verse 8 again, and those who dwell on the earth will wonder. They're not going to be able to understand this because remember, Revelation 13 says there's going to be all kinds of signs and wonders presented to them. And when people see miracles, they start thinking, wow, this must be of God or this must be real. So they're going to wonder, but not the people whose names have been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So the people who are saved, they're not going to wonder because they know what's going on. Now, remember, we're going to be gone as the church, but there will be people saved during the tribulation period. So they're going to recognize that this is not from God. And we will talk about the book of life when we get to Revelation 20. It says, anyway, that the people will wonder whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast, that he was and he is not, and he will come. This has to do with the wounding of the head. So then we go on to verses 8 and 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. In Daniel, there's a mountain that we know as Jesus Christ by the description of it that is also called a kingdom. So we're talking about seven mountains. We're talking about seven kingdoms where the woman sits. So the woman, remember, is sitting on the scarlet beast. She is empowered by him and he is empowered by her. And it tells us that the seven heads that he has that she's sitting on are seven mountains. And it also says they are seven kings. So you have kings over kingdoms. And this woman has been sitting on them since the beginning of all of this. And it says, five have fallen, one is, and the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Okay, so what are these seven kings or seven kingdoms? Remember, the future is all about Israel. God's revelation to us about it deals with Israel. So you need to look at the seven kingdoms or the seven kings who have controlled Israel during the course of their history. And that would be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media Persia, and Greek. 
Here it says five have fallen. Those are five. One is. That's Rome. Rome is in power at this time. And then one is yet to come. And when he does, he's going to remain a little while. So there's a seventh kingdom that's going to come upon the earth, a revival of the Roman Empire based on the statue interpretation in Daniel chapter 2. He is yet to come, and he's only going to remain a little while. Now, you look at all those other kingdoms. Egypt is still in existence. Assyria is gone. Babylon's media Persia. Greece is still around, but certainly not in its power. All of these has fallen. They were world kingdoms, and they were world kingdoms who controlled Israel at the time. They've fallen. The one is, and that gives us a hint of who these other ones were, because that's Rome. And then the final one is going to be the final world kingdom. There's so much in there that is confusing, and yet I know how you know this, but somebody just reading it, how could they possibly understand that? You have to understand Bible history. You have to understand world history to know those kingdoms. How do you know that? Well, it's just study. It's Sometimes it's through Scripture, and Scripture always complements Scripture, and sometimes it's through history, and sometimes it's conjecture. Do I know absolutely that these seven heads Are these seven kingdoms I've mentioned? Not exactly, but if you look historically, it all matches together. And when you understand Daniel 9, when you understand Daniel 2, when you understand the future kingdom, it fits. This is how I see scripture. This is how I understand it from the rest of scripture. But then I go and I look at what other people teach and what they've been believing, and they match up with this. And God's Holy Spirit teaches all of us. He doesn't just speak one way to one person, another way to another person when it comes to the interpretation of Scripture. So when I find out something from Scripture and then I read and see that most other scholars believe that same thing, I think I'm in pretty good company. But remember, this is all a mystery. So only God can determine the answer. Let's go on to verse 11 because it gets more complicated. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to the destruction. Remember now, this is the beast. It's not his heads. It's not the mountains or the kings. It's the actual beast, the Antichrist. It says he was and he is not. Now remember from chapter 13, he had a fatal wound that was healed. So perhaps that means he was and is not. But he is also an eighth. And is one of the seven. Okay, now it's even more confusing. You have seven kingdoms that have been historically identified. Actually, six have been. The seventh is yet to come. But now it's saying here that he's an eighth, but he's one of the seven. So that tells us that he is an antichrist who's going to try and develop his own kingdom out of this world kingdom, this final world kingdom. But he's still part of that seventh kingdom. He's just going to be part in a different way. What kind of different way? We don't know. Maybe he's going to try and be a dictator instead of being just a president of the world. But he's going to attempt to take more power out of the seventh kingdom so that he can almost develop an eighth kingdom here. So that is presented to us as a future thing. And then immediately it says, and he goes to destruction. So again, the angel is giving John the hope and giving us the hope that even though all this is happening, we're just going to be reminded that eventually he's going to go off into destruction. And then it goes on into the 10 horns. 
Verse 12 talks about the ten horns. Remember, the beast had seven heads and ten horns. The seven heads have been described as kingdoms or kings. Now the ten horns, it says, which you saw are ten kings. So we have ten more kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Well, the seven heads have received a kingdom. These ten horns have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. There's a difference between the heads. Those are heads of past kingdoms, as well as the current kingdom that will arise. Then the ten horns represent the ten kings who will rule this final kingdom under the authority of the beast. If you recall from reading in chapter 13, these 10 horns have 10 diadems. Diadems are kingly crowns. They're not victor's crowns. They're one who's in authority. So these 10 kings will rule with the Antichrist for a period of time. It says here one hour, which generally is a figure of speech, meaning a short period of time. It doesn't mean exactly one hour, just shortness. If you go back to Daniel chapter 2, you find that statue of Nebuchadnezzar that we always refer back to. And the final kingdom is a kingdom of feet and toes. And there are 10 toes. That tells us that the final kingdom is going to have 10 kings. This tells us that the final kingdom is going to have 10 kings who are relegated not just as victors, but as kings to rule over the world. Now that is significant for this day and age. Because you will have then a one world leader who maybe attempts to become a dictator, but he's going to give authority to 10 kingdoms. Well, what kingdoms would they be if this was to happen soon? All you have to do is go to the United Nations Sustainable Development Plan, and you will see that they have divided the world into 10 kingdoms or 10 sections or divisions, however you want to say it. You have North America, which is Canada, America, and Mexico is one of those divisions. So instead of being autonomous as our own countries, we are going to be known as kingdoms, groups of people who fall under the authority of the Antichrist. And it sounds like those 10 areas, if those are the areas that certainly could be the ones that they're referring to in Scripture here, that sounds like it's a transition. Maybe the world would rebel if they thought all of a sudden one person was going to take over. But if you transition them into these regions that are already set up, then eventually the beast can take over entirely. And it says they have one purpose in verse 13, and that is that they give their power and authority to the beast. These 10 kings are going to be under the authority and give authority to the beast. Why? Because in verse 14, these will wage war against the lamb. Now remember, at the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation 16, It says that the Antichrist called together all the kings of the earth to wage war against Jesus Christ. That's what we see here. They're going to wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So even though they're going to come together to fight Jesus Christ, they're going to lose. Boy, is that going to be fun to read when we get to Revelation chapter 19. But then we finish with verses 16 and 17, and we see a transition. There's a rebellion that's going to take place. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. 
oh my goodness, we're going to have a rebellion with the political system, the Antichrist. The kings are going to realize they don't need this religious system anymore. They have power over the world. They have made the world worship the beast. So they don't need the religious system anymore, and they're going to destroy her. Why? Verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose. And that means that the Antichrist and the kings, the horns, will have a common purpose, and that is to destroy the religious system and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. All this that's going to take place of the power of the Antichrist, the religious system, the political system, the economic system, all will roll into one until the Antichrist gets ultimate power. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that tells us that the Antichrist will go into the temple and declare himself as God. When he does that is probably when he no longer needs this religious system and he takes total ultimate dictatorship of the world. And that's when he's going to begin to fight Jesus Christ, he and the kings of the earth. A couple of the things that we can come out of this with are the understanding that God provides us with much detail about the beast and mystery Babylon through six chapters in Revelation. So he has given us clues that we can work with. And that means that these two entities, the beast and the harlot, play an important role in end times. Consider that God has given us almost 25% of the book of Revelation talking about these two entities, explaining what it's going to be like at the end times and how deceptive it's going to be, how controlling it's going to be by the world government powers and the world religious powers. Who can stand against that? Right now, it's hard to stand against our government if, if we don't agree with them on something, especially when media goes along with and promotes the viewpoint of particular government officials or agendas. How can we stand against this? We can't, unless people know the truth. If we know the truth, we can stand against the evil. If people at the end time, because the church is going to be gone, will turn to the Bible, they'll be able to read exactly what's going to happen. And then they can know how to walk, how to live. As we've explained before, Many people who become believers will become martyrs, but that's part of the end times. The fact is, most people are going to die anyway, whether you're a martyr for Jesus Christ or you die because the elements are the persecution. So why not die for Jesus Christ when it comes to that? But at this point, let's live for Jesus. Let's live, turn to him today and live our lives for him. Let's come to him now before it's too late. We tend to think, I'm not going to be deceived. I'm smart enough to know the difference between right and wrong. Jesus warns us in Matthew 24 that even the elect could be deceived because there is going to be so much manipulation and misinformation. We've seen it in Revelation 17. We don't want to be part of it. Jesus, remember, said in Revelation 3.10, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus standing at the door, knocking and wanting people to come to him, invite him in. With the nearness of the hour, I got to thinking about Jesus knocking at the door and then, and then, 
with the urgency of the hour, he's probably knocking urgently, and we should listen. Oh, yes. He so much wants us to turn to him, to give our lives to him now, because it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of repentance. But it's a decision that we have to make individually. He will not force himself on us. He's too much of a loving God. So he gives us every opportunity, but we have to make the decision. Will you make the decision today? Jesus is almost pounding at that door right now because the hour is here. All prophecies have been fulfilled for Jesus to return for his church. He could return any time. And you don't want to miss the rapture of the church. You do not want to go through what we've been talking about because it's going to be hell on earth like no one has ever experienced. And Jesus wants you instead to be with him. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.